old, very old hymn. You think about how great our God is, and I don't know about you, but I feel like so, so tiny. But it is a delight, it is a privilege to be with you this morning. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me again, as we did last week, back to Matthew chapter 6. For our text this morning, as you're turning there, gentlemen, let me speak directly to you for a moment um, in regards to our upcoming men's retreat. Let me encourage you uh, to make this a priority for Friday and Saturday. Um, I am a man just like you. I struggle with what I call the big three, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we as men regularly need to be together to reassess, to refocus on what it means to really belong to the Lord. And so I would encourage you very much. I am delighted to have um, a great friend of mine. I actually met Pastor Robert Vaughn when I was 15 years old. And I have watched him and listened to him over the years. And we will be blessed and encouraged with his time leading us in the Word. So encourage you to be there. <clears throat> Before we go any further, I'd like to just bow our heads. Uh, Would you pray with me as we commit this time to the Lord? Father, I, I thank you for your greatness. We together, Lord, confess that you are worthy over all. You are above all. You reign over all. You are supreme and sovereign. And Lord, we are, we are just so grateful. Lord, I, I, I tremor literally at this very moment inside at the thought of your unique power and yet in that uniqueness and that awesomeness where you see us and you you love us and you know us you know our hearts you know right now what is racing through our minds and hearts and god i would ask that you through the ministry of your spirit and through the very power the truth of your word would speak to all of our hearts mine included we examine lord what is the ultimate priority where our focus is, where our attention is. Father, I I desperately pray for this community where there are many that are being led astray, that are being lied to, and they're believing lies, they're trapped in blindness and darkness. God, I would ask that we would take the light of the gospel, that we would literally just shout it from the rooftops every opportunity, because that is the only hope that this world has. Father, guide us now, guide my lips, my tongue, Give clarity of thought and mind, and may you be glorified in our time. And as we leave, leave this room momentarily, may we leave knowing what you have called us to do, that we have heard from you and you alone. We ask this in a very strong, powerful name of our Savior, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. My my dad grew up... um, on the north side of Philly, kind of the rougher side of Philadelphia. My mom, on the other hand, grew up on the upper West Oak Lane District, more the nicer side of the track, so to speak. I remember listening to my dad tell stories when we were young, and when he was in high school, he got a job like, like many young guys would do. He got a job at a, at a gas station pumping gas in a garage, and his, his priority in life, he worked and he saved all of his money, he earned it, and he bought a car, a 1952 Hudson Hornet. 
was actually talking to him this week about it, and he was still excited when he talks about this six-cylinder flathead with a twin-H power. Twin-H power. I wrote that. I don't know what that means. I'm not a car guy, but that's what he said it had. And he tells me it was it was baby blue on the sides, on on the top. It had a white hardtop roof. It was two-door. And he actually fixed it up, and he put all of his money, all of his time and his energy and effort into this. He actually, he actually raced it at the, at the ADCO um, in the junk stock category in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. And this was like the center of his world. It was interesting. I remember laughing as we were kids. He, he actually had it so that when you opened the door, the interior light, he had the interior light, it was tinted blue. So that when you open the door, there's this warm blue glow everywhere. It was a, it was a late 50s, early 60s thing, I guess. And what, what was amazing is that my dad actually named his, his little project the Wild Mouse. And it very clearly became the center of his life. Every extra dime that he earned, every extra minute he would work on and he would shine up the wild mouse. What I want to present to you this morning is that throughout this time, we want to examine our own lives that many of us have what I call a wild mouse in our lives. We have something that occupies way too much time and way too much attention, too much focus. There's two major problems with having a wild mouse in our lives. The first problem is this. It's not a wise thing to do. If something's not wise, it's, it's foolish. If something is foolish, it's dumb. The number one reason why it's dumb to have a wild mouse is because it never ever last. Let me tell you what majority of the 1952 Hudson Hornets look like today. Tony, can you show that? That's what it looks like. It's dumb to have a wild mouse in your life, something physical and tangible, because it simply does not last. Second reason, second problem, is that it's also dangerous to have a wild mouse in your life. The reason it's dangerous is because God makes it very, very clear that there is supposed to be nothing, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's supposed to be nothing in our life that comes before that is more important than God. That's why we have a series like we do right here over the next several weeks on biblical stewardship. We learned last week, what, what is a steward? steward is one who manages another, another one's possessions. And we were reminded last week about what I call stewardship principle number one. God owns everything. Take a look around. God owns everything. And I am his money manager. You are his money manager. Psalm 24, we read it last week. Verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It all belongs to the Lord. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, The follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not even your own. You have been bought with a price to glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And so we learned about the fact that what? It's very, very important 
about understanding what it means to be a steward. Why? Because there's a direct connection between our spiritual lives and our financial lives. Remember that from last week? There is an intimate, fundamental linking between what you think about God and what you think about money. We also learned last week what? There, there is a clear indication throughout all the pages of Scripture that God is far more concerned about your eternal state than He is about your temporal state. We must learn, in spite of the world that we, we live in, in spite of the messages that we regularly hear, we must learn it is all about heavenly treasures, eternal investments, not earthly treasures, not temporary investments. And so we return back to the text of Matthew chapter 6. We return back to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to refocus on this one phrase in the latter part of verse 21. It says this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There your, your, where your treasure is. The word is Thesauro. It's actually the same word that we get our, our, our word thesaurus from. It's a collection. It's a stockpile of words is the thesaurus. The word treasure, thesauro, is actually a reference to where we stockpile or where we hoard or where we keep a safe place. Think of a treasure chest for where you're... Your, your safe place is to store matters of wealth is where your what? Your cardio is, your, your heart, not the muscle that beats in your chest. What is cardio? What is heart? It's your inner self. It's your whole person. It's who you really are. Wherever you put your treasure chest of what you think is important is where your whole self will be. In essence, Jesus is saying this very bluntly. I speak the truth of God's word. This is what God is saying. He says this, show me your checkbook. Let me see your bank statements. Let me see your bank accounts. Let me look at your receipts and your financial records. And I will very quickly tell you that's where your heart is. That's exactly what that word means. Now, Jesus is not saying if we put our treasure in the right place that automatically our heart will be right. He's saying what? The location of our treasure indicates where our heart already is. What we focus on. 10.30 in the morning, November the 7th, 2013, Twitter went public. Understand what happens when something like that goes public? Originally, it was estimated to sell at $26 a share. That's a lot. Instead, it actually opened up as the most anticipated tech IPO since Facebook went public in May 2012. It opened up at $45.10. From 10.30 when when they started to sell until 12.30, Evan Williams, 41-year-old boy who was born on a farm and raised in Nebraska, the one who founded Twitter, from 10.30 to 12.30, he earned $2.57 billion on 56.9 million shares 
that were sold in two hours. Oh, my word, as I'm reading lips right now. In two hours. Can I tell you something? I would just guess that Mr. Evans, Mr. Evan Williams, is very carefully and closely watching the price of where that stock is. Same way that if any one of you purchased Twitter stock, you pay attention to it. When you're sitting in a waiting room flipping through a magazine, you look for the financial section. Or in the newspaper, you look for the financial section. When you're flipping through channel surfing, you stop on where what's. The reports are of what's happening on the New York Stock Exchange to see why and where your investment's doing. It's, it's commonplace for something that we have bought into, that we've invested for it to occupy our, our time, our, our energy, our attention. I remember when Grampy George owned J.C. Penney's stock. We as a family did not shop at Sears, okay? I can assure you of that. Our focus was what? On J.C. Penney. Suppose you recently gave to the hurricane relief fund for the Philippines after the tragedy that struck this past fall. Isn't it interesting that you now notice and you follow up and you watch the progress that's happening in the Philippines, the rebuilding? You've invested into that. If you have ever supported a missionary in China, your heart somehow follows that. When you buy a shirt and it says made in China, automatically you think about the person who made that. There's a connection there. Which brings us to our second stewardship principle. You can write this down. I know it's on the bottom of your notes, but we'll build a case for this. Stewardship principle number two. My heart always goes where I put God's money. You can be assured of that. As we build upon these principles over the next several weeks, number two, my heart always goes where I put God's money. I believe it is necessary for you and I to determine right now at this very moment where our heart is. Because the Word of God has something that's referred to as the Great Commandment, different than the Great Commission of Matthew 28. The Great Commandment, Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 10, Christ is speaking. The Pharisees are actually trying to not just test him, but trap him, trick him. And they ask him this question, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, what? Everything is summarized into the fact that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and greatest commandment. Matter of fact, you know our mission statement right here at Big Woods. Love God and love people. How do we do that? We do that by fulfilling the vision that we have placed before us. How do we love God? How do we love people? By building relationships with those in the community so that lives are transformed through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see why this is so important? Do you see why it connects to so many things of what our heart, what our mind is focused on, fixed on, what our lives are committed to? It says in Scripture, we are to be committed to God and to God alone. It goes directly with the very first commandment in Exodus chapter 20. It says what? You shall have no other gods. Nothing comes before me, the Lord says. 
And sadly, if we examine our own heart very closely, a lot of people have put things, money, possessions, homes and cars and trucks, even goals and aspirations will put them ahead of God's. And I say that from, from my own heart because I've done that and I've made that mistake. Very, very early on, when Seth was probably two or three years old, we found out that he was left-handed. By the time he was six and seven and eight years old, we found out that he could throw anything very, very hard. By the time he was in elementary school, he's throwing as harder, harder than some high school students. And we listen to people. We got caught up in that. Say, well, you got a boy here with a gift and you need to focus on this. Because this is the ticket. This is really where it's at. And we bought into that. Well, he's going to need pitching coaches. And so we got him pitching coaches. We asked to go on travel teams. And so you have to pay fees for travel teams. And we did that. Well, he's got to fly to other states. He's got to throw in other states. And he has to throw at showcases. And so we did that. And clinics. And we sent him there. And to camps. And we sent him there. And there was all kinds of money that was wrapped up into that. Into flights and hotels and meals and equipment, trainers. Let me tell you this. That is a dangerous place to be. Why? Because it quickly draws our hearts away. Thankfully, by God's grace, God spoke to Seth and touched his shoulder and reduced the fastball from the low 90s to the high 70s. And it was the greatest thing that ever happened. He prepares for the mission field because he got it. He got something that his own dad didn't get. Baseball had become my wild mouse. Let me tell you this, first and foremost, point number one, God is far more interested in your heart than He is in your money. God is far more interested in your heart than He is your money. If the heart is right, then you can be assured everything else falls into its proper place. A person that has a heart that is right with the Lord, let me tell you this, it is a joyous thing to witness. They are giving. And there is peace that exists. A person whose heart is not right with the Lord is worried about money, is miserable, is confused, is stingy. Let me tell you this. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. He's not waiting for you so that His kingdom can be advanced. He doesn't wait in heaven longfully, pining away, hoping that maybe you will lose. He doesn't need that. God doesn't need generous acts of philanthropy. He doesn't need a fundraising business. He's not about benefit dinners and, and bean suppers and bingo games. God doesn't need your money. He owns everything. This is what God wants. God wants your heart. All of it. Not some of it. God wants disciples who are on fire. God wants disciples who are on mission. God wants followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who are passionate 
about Him and the extending of His kingdom. Let me ask you this. Is that you? Does that characterize you? A follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who is passionate for the Lord. Is that you? Yes or no? That's a yes, no answer. That is not a gray, maybe. Hopefully I'm on my way. That is a yes or a no answer. Or are you someone who worries every single day? wonder how my investments are doing. I don't know about how things is going to make in the future. Our bank account, our retirement, it looks pretty shaky out there. People, you cannot view, you cannot lower your view of God by choosing something simple and silly as tangibles and touchables and money over Him. Because in doing that, we forget who God is. We have to remember who God is. God is the great architect, the designer, the creator, the sculptor, the sustainer of everything. You and I cannot forget that. God is far more interested in your heart than he is your money. Secondly, God wants all of your hearts and not some of your hearts. God wants all of your hearts and not some of your heart. We cannot forget who the Lord is. Luke chapter 16 In verse 13, the Lord Jesus Christ again is speaking. The words are in red. He says this, no one can serve two masters. Which means what? Your heart cannot be divided. You cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or you will love the other. Either you will what? You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he makes this statement. Jesus Christ himself, God in form of a man in flesh, comes to earth and he says this, You cannot serve God and money. You've got to choose. Now, hearts cannot be divided on this. You focus on money. What does Paul write to to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6? The love of money. People who love money, that is the root. Not money itself. The love of money is the very root of every single kind of evil. And so God knows and understands that you cannot have a heart for Him and a heart for the things of this world. You cannot have a heart for Him and a heart for money. You focus, you put all your time and attention and your money in stocks, your heart goes there. That's what you focus on. You put all your emphasis, your time and attention into your home and your heart will follow there. You put all your time and attention, your focus into your wild mouth and your heart will quickly go there. You focus on yourself and your heart will be self-absorbed. And we miss out. We miss out on what God has planned for us in touching lives, in impacting them, in investing into eternity. However, if we want, if we choose at this very moment, we choose to take that which God has, in a sense, given to us a responsibility to be a steward of, and we hold it very loosely and we hand it back to Him, we invest our money into the local church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the local church. Proverbs chapter 3 says what? Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the very first fruits, the very first thing that you get. You cut what? You cut that top portion off and you give it right back to the Lord. That's the way, way we are to function. You invest into missions. You put your money to help shelter and to clothe and to feed the poor physically and spiritually. And your heart will follow. Your heart will quickly follow. You do this, and I tell you what, it gives you a clear view, an eternal view of investments that really matter. 
I've been reading about biography of a man by the name of William Borden. Read about him, a graduate of Yale University. He was the heir to a massive fortune from his parents, Borden Dairies. When he graduated from high school years ago, his, his mom and dad gave him a, a trip around the world. What high school senior wouldn't like that? William Borden was on a ship and he visited many places and he realized that he could, what? He could keep what he had and live a life of ease. Or he could, what? He could invest it into the poor and particularly into missions. And he developed a heart for missions. He came back to the U.S. He went to seminary, was trained for ministry, and went back to the Middle East. Actually began to minister in Egypt. He ministered for four months in Egypt before he contracted spinal meningitis and he died. He's actually buried to this day in a back grown-up cemetery in Cairo, Egypt, where his birthstone reads this, Robert Borden, 1887 to 1913. He was 25 years old. This is what it says on his tombstone. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, you can't explain this. What is amazing is that where William Borden is buried in a grown-up cemetery is really not that far from the Egyptian National Museum. In the Egyptian National Museum in Cairo, Egypt, is where King Tut's tomb is on display, another young man who was buried. But he was buried, what, literally, with solid gold chariots and, and thousands of pure gold artifacts, literally, literally tons of golds. And yet you think of the difference of their tombs. One forgotten, grown up in the back, and yet the other with all of this opulence and all of this splendor. And think right now, we don't, not, we don't know for sure, but it is quite clear that someone who believes the, the false doctrine of a, of a polytheistic mindset is lost. Whereas what? We understand that William Borden is with the Lord's. One, in a sense, decided to leave treasures behind. One, in the other sense, decided to send them ahead. And we need to focus about that. If we focus on that, I'm actually, I'm actually confronted with the fact that a lot of Christians today dread the thought. They dread the thought. They fear leaving this world. For the very reason, if they examine their own hearts, they know that they have what? They have stored up treasures and interest and pleasures here on this earth and not in heaven. And so may today we settle that very idea. May we settle that very thought of where our treasure is, where our heart is. Is it settled on God and God alone, your whole heart? Or is it interested in pursuing and passionate for money and towards money. So I want you to fill it out. I want you to think about it. What, what is your wild mouse? 
Think about what occupies your time and focus and attention. And you give that entirely over to the Lord. Why? Because where my heart goes, where my heart goes, in a sense, is really what matters. There's an old guy. He actually has gone home to be with the Lord. And his name, I love his name. His name is Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. I may have actually read portions of this quote to you before, but it is important, it is necessary to do it again. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge was a very large black Baptist preacher. And so it's difficult for me even to quote because I just, a little white boy just can't do it the way that that man can. He was the pastor of San Diego Baptist Church, but he was preaching a message way back in 1976, I believe, in Detroit. And he preached this six-and-a-half-minute message. And I'd like to read for you in the last couple moments where our focus needs to be and why it needs to be there. Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge focuses on, understands that it's all about the Lord's. He refers to him personally as my king. Listen to this, Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge, and I quote, My king was born king. The Bible says that he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is the only one of whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shores of his supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the greatest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of historic theology. He's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's a supportive of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's the almighty God who guides and keeps all his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners. He discharged debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. That's my king. Do you know him? 
Well, my king is the king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislatures. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. I wish I could describe Him to you, but He's indescribable. That's my King. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. And He's irresistible. I'm coming to tell you this, that the heaven of heavens can't contain him, let alone some men explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out that they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been and he always will be. I'm talking about the fact that he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There's nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, all the power belongs to my king. We're around here, we're talking about black power and white power and green power. But in the end, all that matters is God's power. Thine is the power. Yeah. And the glory. We try to get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all His. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? Forever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through all of the evers, then, amen. Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge does not have a divided heart. Certainly not now as he enjoys the presence of his king. But when he was walking and ministering here on this earth, his heart was focused entirely in one place. May your heart and may my heart focus on the Lord's. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. That I thank you for a reminder of what we are called to do and what we're called to be as followers of Jesus. God, we confess, I confess that there are things in this world that draw us away. God, help us, Lord, to, to put them aside, to see you, to see others, to love you, and to love others. May our heart be focused entirely on you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Tim. Would you stand with us as we close?